Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we break down Wyndham Clark's U.S. Open victory. But first, this episode is brought to you by Zero Restriction, the leader in performance golf apparel. Designed in partnership with PGA Tour Pros, Zero Restriction's outerwear keeps you competitive no matter the weather. Head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I'm joined by George and PGA Tour winner Billy Hurley III. Billy, let's start with you. You've played in four U.S. Opens. What do you make of Wyndham Clark at LACC? He got it done. That's what I make of it. I mean, he hit the shots that he needed to. Um, certainly sloppy on 15, the, the the shorter par three. That's that's where I thought, ooh, this just became a golf tournament. But, uh, you know, the up and down at 11, the up and down at 17, and the three wood into 14 were just incredible. So, um, you know, there's there's not much else to say other than he hit all the shots, you know, terrific two putt on 18. And um, congrats to Wyndham Clark. I mean, it was uh, a day where nobody really got anything going when they did. They they quickly kind of backed up and and that's kind of a U.S. Open Sunday. That, that's that's Sunday at the U.S. Open is it's tough to get a real good round going and it's tough to keep it when you do and. Wyndham kind of just steadied it around and, and hit enough shots in, in the last four or five holes to to come away with a victory. Yeah, I, I agree. Wyndham absolutely went out and he he got control. He birdied the first and he just whatever you thought, oh, this is getting interesting. He's he's boned now. He figured it out. And I think he took a did he bogey the par five on the back nine? No, he birdied 14 with an incredible three wood from like 275 okay. into the middle of the green. But then he bogeyed 16. He drove it up under the lip of the bunker on 16. And yeah, there it was. Wedged it out and then missed a six footer or something. Yeah, there was a couple where I was like, oh, this is where it's going to go. And he he just kept it in composure. And the I think the person that surprised me the most today was Scotty. Uh he he had so many good looks and just was, you know, I think he honestly through probably through eight, he might've been literally eight revolutions of the ball short of being at least nine under. Yeah. And the, he just, yeah. I was going to say like, there's always the element of like, did Wyndham win it or did others lose it? I'm curious, George, I'll pass it back to you. Did, did Rory lose it? Did Scotty lose it? Do you feel like they had the opportunities to chase him down? I don't think anyone lost it. I mean, I, the the only person that could have possibly lost it was um when like the only one who could have lost it you could say is is uh Ricky but the reality is that Wyndham won it because he went out and got it and he kept that lead all day long he never let up and even when it was like oh now he's bone this is bad he got up and down he saved bogeys um and when he had to hit the shot he did and that uh, i'll be honest <clears throat> that putt on 18 to leave himself a foot that was as big as the three wood on the hole on 16 or whatever the hole before was because that's the nerviest putt you're gonna ever have in your life knowing if i just two putt this i've won 
and like just get it to the hole right like that's i have to imagine inside his brain is just get to the hole don't leave yourself four feet yeah i was gonna and, say Billy, you could probably tell us like under the pressure of you know sort of final final nine when you're in contention is it more nervy to hit putts like that where you know it's a it's a lag putt or is it or is it more nervy to hit you know sort of like the full shot or the you know, the, the flighted shot that you've got to hit. I think George's point is well taken. Like that 60-foot putt, while it's, you know, up the hill, generally not a lot of slope to it, you know, you could say it's relatively simple, but there's a lot of a lot of nerves coming down the stretch when you know you've got a two-putt to win the U.S. Open. There's little simple about a 60-foot putt, guys. I mean, just just period, paragraph, essay. Okay. I mean, that's it. if we were talking about 35 feet or something or, or 25 feet to two putt to win the, okay, we can talk, we can start having a conversation about simple. Um, so I think no question, you know, that putt is harder than, you know, the, the, the seven iron that he hit into the 18th green. Um, it, it might not be harder than the three wood that he hit into the 14th green, but um, you know, that's one of those putts for you you know you need two putts to win getting it to a foot is like unbelievably huge i mean you start talking about two and a half feet is that okay okay yeah yeah you should make all those but it's still nervy you know but you start talking about three to five feet to win a u.s open i mean like when you had a putt previous it wasn't like you hit a seven iron to three feet to try and make a birdie to 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 win or something i mean the 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 emotion and the nerves of like three putting to to tie or back into the playoff or whatever i mean getting it to a foot is just is is incredibly huge and and i agree with george nobody lost this Wyndham won it um could somebody else have come and won it yes i mean could rory have hit a couple of better shots down the stretch and and got himself some better looks and 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 made a couple more birdies and and come from behind and won it yes but that doesn't mean he lost it um you know i think the uh Wind, windham windham won it i think there's there's no question about that two two other things just broadly that i think about i think george i'll i'll throw this one to you after i get to point number 2 but point number 1 is does roy win another major i don't know point number 2 Scotty Scheffler is the number one player in the world, hands down. I mean, we can talk about how there's no real dominant and he hasn't won a whole bunch of majors in the last, you know, 12, 18 months, but he's just been there in every single one of them. And I think that that just, you know, puts the stamp of he's the number one player. He doesn't win all the time. He doesn't kind of have that. Maybe he doesn't have, quite have that killer instinct of a, of, of a Tiger Woods type type thing which again, we've talked about that Tiger Woods, one of one, never see again. So, but he's just there every time hanging around. Yeah. So with regard to Scotty, what surprised me today with him was I, I expected him to play a little more freely. It was almost like him and Rory played as though they were, they had the lead and they they have nothing to lose, right? I mean, I'll, I'll I'll talk about Roy first. Rory has absolutely nothing to lose. He has he has infinity dollars in the bank. He's won four majors already. He's won U.S. Opens. He was behind, and it's I I was kind of looking for those two, especially since they were in the same group, 
to really just go low. Like, I mean, like go after it. And they both played almost as though they had the lead and they were trying not to lose it. I didn't, I never really saw either of them do something that was like, take on the risk, take on the pin. We saw, uh, who was it? Uh, Fleetwood go out, shoot 63 today. I guess that's what he does every so often in the US Sunday Open. US Open <laughs> specialist, apparently. Yeah. And and so the the number was out there. Uh, and I do think, and I credit the USGA with this, the pins were tough, but they were not ridiculous. So you could definitely go get us a, a number. And like I said, Scotty was what eight revolutions of a ball short on the front nine of probably shooting 31 on the front and it just didn't materialize and i felt like they were playing with they they looked like they were playing with the lead and and we talk about it you know if you're leading the u.s open basically go out and put up 18 pars and challenge anybody to go get it so so brian do you do you think that those two guys thought Wyndham was going to back into them, like, and they just no. needed to hang around and kind of, you know, post something and 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 make this first time guy take it from them. I do think that there was a little bit of they saw Ricky sputtering, and I think they thought Wyndham might sputter as well. And it's not to say I think that they, you know, Billy, you could probably tell us there's always this like almost like risk level that you're willing to take. And I sort of look at the last ten holes. You know, once you get to the first eight, a lot of your like really, really good birdie looks at LACC seem to be beyond you. And so on the last 10 holes, you've got a lot of long irons in your hand. You've got a lot of pins where you're like, I could take this on, but the the safer play is for me to hit this, you know, 10 feet left, 15 feet left, 20 feet left, whatever it is. And I just felt like they they imagined that with Ricky sputtering, Wyndham was going to sputter and it was less a a battle of birdies and it was more a battle of attrition. And I think that they will look back on that and say, gosh, I wish I had taken on this pin or that pin or this pin. Uh, who knows? I mean, I'm sure they're going to go through their rounds a lot with their caddies and their coaches and sort of see what they could have done differently. But I do think that there was a little bit of trepidation that that I was seeing from less so from, from Rory and just like Scotty and just sort of like seeing that they were able to take on you know, the risk when they needed to. Yeah. And the the one thing that I noticed after probably the first three or four holes, the greens, they never lost the greens. And I felt like people were very timid on the greens, even though it didn't look like they had to be. There were definitely some pins you saw later in the round where they were on slopes and, you know, what was it? I, I want to say it was 15 for sure, but there were spots where they no, it wasn't fifteen. Um, it was a short. Maybe it was eight. What's the, what's the short par four on? So the short the, par four six is the one where it's drivable. No, 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 not that one. Because that that pin was kind of tucked in a weird spot yeah. where they were they were daring you to try to drive it, but there was nowhere to really put it. Um, it it was one where that everyone had like eighty yards in, and they were hitting you know sand wedge to it. And they all left themselves above it to to come down to it, and it was just it they that was the one putt I saw where almost everybody kind of it trickled past and just kept trickling and trickling and trickling, but otherwise I felt I felt like this course was really fair. If you hit a good shot, you got rewarded. If you hit a bad shot, you got boned. 
um, unless you're Scotty and you put it in the woods and you're like, oh, hey, the the tower's in my way, so I need TIO relief. And all of a sudden, like, look at my look at my good line here. Um, but otherwise, you know, people were kind of banging on LACC, and I honestly thought it was a great, great U.S. Open course because I think Shinnecock last time we were there, like they lost it. They, they, some of the greens and the pins were, were goofy. Obviously Phil made his statement about that situation, but I felt like this course set up properly It identified the dudes who should make the cut. And then over the weekend, it continued to get harder and harder and harder. And basically par over the last two days, won the tournament, uh, which is kind of what a U.S. open should be. So, I, I thought the course did great. I think the USGA tip of the cap to them. It was set up well that, you know, good shots got rewarded. You could, you could go get a number if you played perfect golf. And I, I just think I, I like I, going back to the issue of why were they so timid? I felt on the greens, they couldn't believe that they could be, I don't want to say aggressive, but confident on the greens. And, and not defensive. Yeah, it looked a little bit more like that with the iron shots, that the, it never, it, it got one good bounce and then held. There was, I, I didn't see a whole lot of shots, especially coming down the stretch that, that kind of got away from somebody. Now, granted, the other piece of the puzzle to, to remind everybody is that when you're watching the last four golfers play golf, those are the best four golfers on the planet at that moment in time, right? Because they're in the final two groups of the U.S. Open or the final two groups of whatever tournaments on TV. And so they, people who are in that position tend to not miss hit golf shots, you know, very much. It'd be interesting to watch some of the guys who finished 30th or, or, or something like that. I didn't, I didn't watch much of that coverage today. So we'll get to that if, problem. If the um, right if, if, if those, you know, kind of mishits were kind of running away or not, but um, it, it did appear that there was a lot of respect with the second shot um, to your point, you know, Brian, you, you have to imagine Rory and Scotty will look back and, and, and think about, you know, this pin or that pin that I could have maybe gone after a little bit, you know, they, they both Rory and Scotty, um, you know, made, made a mess of the par five on the back the the, the 14th, you know, both hit it in the bunker in three and uh you know rory got a pretty favorable drop there not anything that was improper but plugged in the in the grass and then was able to with the new rule change that plugged lies you don't drop it as close as possible to where it was you get a club length from where it was he was able to get a, a normal stance and hit 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 what looked like a pretty poor chip and didn't get it up and down to me but um and then you know scotty's also in that front bunker and, and doesn't get it up and down so um those were the the loose shots that those guys hit. And then there were no real aggressive shots in the final three holes subsequently. Yeah. I'm with you. I look at that 14th hole as the moment when it was just deflating. Like, you, you know, you look at Rory and you're like, you plug in the bunk, not in the bunker, but in the face of the bunker. So now you're able to get free relief. You're able to take advantage of that. It looked like he had, you know, he's dropping in sort of tall ish fescue grass, but it didn't look like a, a, a really bad lie. And so I just looked at that as like, you know, you're not necessarily going to chip it in, but you've got to get that one up and down, save par and like save the momentum at that point in your round. And it just was so deflating. It was like 
that was the moment for me. It was like, dun, dun, dun. Like, well, especially it was a wedge, right? We've talked yeah. about this for a while. I mean, I think it was 125 yards he had yeah. in there, you know, um, and you can argue that it was only two steps from being a 12 footer for birdie, but it was two steps from being a 12 footer for birdie with a wedge. Like you, you, you know, you're supposed to hit the cream and, and it was, you know, and I look back to, you know, we talked going into this day, it sort of looked like a four horse race between, you know, Rory and Scotty in the penultimate group and Ricky Fowler and Wyndham in the final group. Uh, the three guys, Wyndham Clark, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler shoot even par 70 and, and Ricky shoots a 75. So, you know, the only people that really went out and got it, you talked about Tommy Fleetwood shooting a final round 63, but really like not threatening he ended up finishing five shots back at five under of course he'll finish tied for fifth place but not really threatening cameron smith the only guy to really go out and do it on the back nine everyone else kind of sputtered and he shot a three under 32 coming in again he finished four shots back and it never felt like he was really threatening but he had a few putts coming in where if one or two of those drops and he posts seven or even eight under it could have could have scared some guys but it is interesting just to look at how the the tournament started with two record breaking, you know, certainly U.S. Open rounds and tying for the low major round of all time with with uh, with Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley shooting 62s in the first round. But then you look at, you know, Ricky shooting 70, 75 on the weekend and, you know, Wyndham, Rory and Scotty all shooting, you know, one or two under through 36 holes on the weekend. So. Uh, let's pivot perhaps to, we've talked a little bit about LACC. I'll, I'll go to you, George. What did you make of, of LACC? A lot was made about the course coming in, the renovation that had been done. You know, this was the first time a U.S. Open had been held here. You know, how do you think it it showed for uh, for this grand stage? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. I think it was great. I, I, I think it, like I said earlier, it rewarded good shots. It Sometimes we've watched tournaments where even good shots because it's so firm and so fast they just end up in bad spots i felt if if the players in wyndham clark was the perfect example of this if you if you answered the question that was asked by the shot you got the result uh and i think that is a a great golf course you know the if we go look at like what's going to happen when we go to the open over in, in Scotland, England, where it's more link style, just, you know, whatever the sheep kind of grazed down and that's what they played where there's, there's bumps and humps and weird things that happen, which is cool. Like that's a, that's a brand of golf, which is great. And it's, it's interesting and it's fun and we'd love to watch it. But I think LACC delivered. I, I think it was a great U S open golf course could it have played and, and the, the hard part is could it have played harder in the first two rounds? Of course it could have, but would it have been absurd and ridiculous by Sunday? Probably. And is absurd and ridiculous what we want. I think 
when when it sets up that great like again as billy pointed out when you're in the last two groups on the weekend in the u.s open those are the four six best players on the planet at the moment and if they're hitting great golf shots and just getting boned because the course has effectively died. I mean, what they do is they effectively kill the course. They, they stop watering it. Um, the rough gets, they stop mowing the rough and it just gets out of control. I don't know that I know people like we want carnage. We want to see all this stuff. We want to see a double on 15, you know, like make it interesting. And sure that makes it exhilarating as a viewer, but as someone who truly appreciates golf, does that identify the best golfer? I don't know that it does. And I felt like today, this weekend, identified the best golfer because, again, when you look at the shots that were hit and the shots that were rewarded and the shots that took bogey, it it delivered what it's supposed to. So I think LACC is a great venue. Does its layout or whatever impinge the ability of fans to be there and like give the buzz and the vibe of this big event and like a lot of cheers and roars yeah we can talk about that that might not be great because of how hard it is to get out to the the outer holes and there's no really place for people to stand or whatever you want to call it um but as a as a test and a course i think lacc did fantastic yeah i agree i mean it's certainly watching it i i, I want to play it you know, I, I definitely I want to kind of see what it is, see what it's about. I thought, you know, the look of some of the greens was really cool with kind of some of the the horseshoes where you could, you know, be front right or front left. And those are separated by a bunker, but you're on the green, but it's not a bunker in the middle of the green. It's just different sections of the green on some of those par fives, which I think is is great. I, I don't think that fits a par four, but it fits a par five tremendously to me. So, I, I mean, there were some guys who didn't like it. You know, some guys who, who didn't who didn't think it was great, um, which is why I say I'd like to go play it, you know, because it because it looked like a pretty good um, test, like you were saying, George, to me. Um, I, I will say maybe one knock, if you just think about a U.S. Open is uh, a 60 yard wide fairway on the 18th hole. You know, I think what they I think they said it was 58 yards wide and, and Wyndham Clark did not hit a good tee shot on 18 um he, he definitely kind of hit a hit a he hit stared a straight at the sun and thought he hit one off the planet right he, yeah i mean like when it, it when it took planet. off i wasn't sure it was in bounds you, you know i mean um and obviously you know because it's 58 yards wide it stays in the right you know edge of the fairway and and he's able to hit a, a normal shot into the green so um you know we could argue about that. I mean, obviously there's very tight holes all along the way and that's kind of just how the 18th is. Okay. I, I can get over it, but um, yeah, I, I would just say I, I want to play it and see what it's all about. Um, looked, looked pretty good from where I sat today. Yeah. I agree with your sentiment around like, if, if you want to go play it, that that's a good barometer. And I definitely want to go play LACC. One of the things that I'll say, and I talked earlier about like how the first eight holes were like your opportunities to go get it. Like if you were going to shoot four or even five under, like that was your stretch of holes. One through eight is where you were going to get it. And for me, it just made me think, gosh, maybe if we swap these nines, maybe this was a more exciting U.S. Open. Like then you'd have the Masters. Then you'd have the Masters. You'd have a little bit of a shootout toward the toward the end. I don't know if you know nine would have been the great you know final hole. 
you know, but but it was a cool green. And in fact, I heard a lot of people talk about the ninth hole being one of their favorite holes out there. But I do think that the eight made for more excitement, made for more scoring opportunities, made for more drama. And so if I had one sort of recommendation or knock, it would be, you know, maybe we think about switching the nines here just to, you know, present some more drama. I will say, and we we talked a little, excuse me, a little bit about like players complaining, you know, Brooks was complaining, Matt Fitzpatrick, Victor Hovland talking about blind tee shots. And one of the things they raised was one of the things that I think if I were to knit LA, LACC a little bit, there were a few holes, number eight and number three to me, that sort of all the balls seem to funnel into one stretch. And now I will uh, vent about why I think you should get free relief whenever there is, you know, a, a sort of like funnel area where all balls tend to, to get to. I just think, Billy, you should paint that whole line as ground under a pair and say, you know what? If you end up in a divot here, you should you should be able to take relief because this is where every ball is going to end up. But I do think that the, when there are holes where pros in particular are just able to like sort of pick it apart and all end up in the same area, that doesn't to me, like I sort of, you know, hem and haw about like, is is that really a great test? Because everyone's sort of ending up generally in the same spot. Um, but but that's a nit. And I think overall, the 18 holes played really well. And George, I think your point's the, the right one. It rewarded really good shots and allowed for good scoring opportunities. And if you were off, even fractionally, then you you paid the price for that. Yeah, and even though, I mean, a few of the holes that had the super wide fairways, and, we, and we've talked about this where you can have a, a big fairway. LACC was definitely one of those courses on most of the holes. If the fairway's super wide, it was really half as wide as it looked on TV because if you hit on the wrong side, you were just going to bound into the rough. Um, and so, it yes, on paper, well, this looks just like a bomber's paradise. Um, I don't think that was truly the case. Um, and, you know, with the, the, the fairways that sort of funneled into spots, I didn't see too many people landing in divots. Um, and it, it sort of like said, all right, Hey, everyone's going to have to hit this wedge in. Everyone's going to have to hit this shot in. And we're going to, we're going to identify who does it better than everybody else. So eight, eight was the number the whole I was thinking about where basically everybody's left with, you know, 80 yards in give or take and almost everyone left above the hole, right? Like that, that was one of those ones that was interesting. And again, credit to the, the course, the greens were firm enough that you couldn't just hit it and spin back and, and leave it down on the flat part. It was, it was tricky and it was, it was firm enough that you bounded up, but not so soft. You could kind of like hit spin and zip back. Um, and that's why I think this was a great course. I, I think it was, I would like to see now again, some of this is East coast bias because prime time, and the US Open, pretty cool. Like we could do a lot of stuff during the day. I gotta go play nine holes with my kids today and have a great Father's Day in that regard. Got home as the leaders were teeing off. Um, and and so that was really cool. But I, I think LACC is is one that should stay in the conversation for more US Opens because it it was a good test. Do you do you think yeah, we should they have one more? They have one scheduled, I think it's 2039. Right. Is going already going back. Do you think this time we should tell the people of LA that there's a US Open happening like in their city so they could show up? Well, there were only 9,000 tickets allocated for general admission. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, I, I mean, 
All right, let's let's just go into that right now. The hang on, hang on. Before before we do that, I want to I want to ask you guys like how late's too late? Because like I was watching the third round, it didn't finish till like eleven o'clock, and I was like, this is ridiculous. And I'll say, and Wyndham Clark noted this, and I actually think Ricky Fowler misses that short little par putt on eighteen to end his third round. And Wyndham Clark talked about like, hey, we played the last two holes essentially in twilight. Like I was playing that all on feel and experience with where I'm hitting the ball. And he hit a fantastic, you know, second shot into 18 and very saucy twirls his club and, you know, starts marching after it and hits it, you know, stiffs it basically. But I thought it was too late. Yeah. To your point, Billy, I thought it was about 45 minutes to an hour too late in terms of like, that's not what we, we even see at Kapalua. Kapalua is amazing golf in the evening. And it still finishes up by like nine. Yeah, I mean, like nine sounds like the number yeah. to me. I mean, yeah. like I mean, there was yeah. no reason for it to to start as late as it did. I I don't know why they did that, especially if you think there could be a playoff. And today, I mean, there very easily could have been a playoff today. And while they finish an hour earlier, by the time the last group, you know, signs their cards, gets backs out, that that takes thirty minutes, right? So. They're still playing in almost dark, and there's no reason for it. And this this gets back to, you know, we're going to open a can of worms here a little bit, but it's the U.S. Open, so you can say, well, it's the U.S. Open, so it's for the United States. But if we're talking about the game being a global game, I mean, what time is it in England, in Europe? It's It's got to be 4 a.m. Yeah. As, as these guys are, like, and they could have easily teed off at 9 a.m. with the first groups out there, noon Eastern. I guess they kind of – was it close to that today? Yeah, I think that's about what it was today, maybe 8.45 and, and, and 11.45, something like that. Yesterday yeah. was 9.30 and 12.30. I, I think it was 9.30. Yeah, so they, they could have done – I mean, they, you could they start could at 6.45, right? I mean, like that's when they started yeah, and, on Thursday. And I so get, they got three hours. They, they don't only started at 6.45 for the last two rounds. But, you know, could you start it at 8 a.m. instead of 8.45? Of course you could. And does that just get a little bit more? Yes. And and I I don't know why they did that. I mean, again, on the East Coast on Sunday when some of us have holidays tomorrow, whatever, like, it's fine. Um, Pretty sure the rest of the world doesn't celebrate Juneteenth, so they probably don't have that day. Um, But... It's, I. It is a head scratcher, and yesterday was way too late. It was, it was kind of dumb. And the things the USGA needs to get better with this event, with the coverage, the TV coverage, the people on TV. Let's, let's talk about the people on site, and then let's talk about the coverage. George, why did we have so few Los Angelinos, if that's what you say, out out there? And I've heard varying stories about this that you know there were only eighteen thousand tickets because it's sort of tough ground to cover 14,000 of those went to the members and their like family and friends there were only four thousand general admission tickets again i've heard varying numbers here and here and there on twitter but it just seemed like i i joked with someone when they wrapped around the 18th green as wyndham clark two putts for the win it, it looked like a u.s amateur like that's what you see at the u.s amateur when, you know, sort of like the final green, or maybe it's on the 16th green that sometimes that match wraps up, that all the fans sort of wrap around that final green. There, there was maybe a thousand people that were around that green. Uh, a little more so, than that. First time the U.S. Open's ever done that. 
Yeah, and the, I mean, we can look at LA sports in general. If you've ever been to a Dodger game, basically people get there, give or take, middle of the second, third inning, and then by the ninth inning, like they're gone. Um, For a litany of reasons, trying to get anywhere in LA, even on a Sunday, is not optimal. And I, I don't know how they set up with shuttles. If you if you've been to where LACC is, like it sits at the foot of Century City. So Century City has a million office buildings. It is this weird little enclave in within LA. LA is a, it's a massive sprawling city that has like six sections to it. Um, and where Century City sits and where LACC sits, there's not. Uh, I can't even think of where the sort of a if you were going to have them if you're going to have people park basically where like the Lakers play, it's still probably a 40 minute bus ride to the course. If you're going to shuttle them in Um, and that assumes cooperative traffic, which is a huge ask of LA. So I I think there's a lot of reasons that it, it was that way. Again, LA is a traditionally fickle sports town. Um, There's a lot to do on a lovely sunny day in LA. Um, It is not a huge golf town, if we're going to be honest. If you look at kind of just just look at a map, there's a lot of private clubs. There's not a ton of public golf within the city proper or even the outliers. So it's a weird spot for golf in general. Um, And I just don't think it's an easy spot to get people to and from. So that's something I think we're going to have to live with is that even 2039, you're probably not going to have a ton of fans that show up there. Um, And that's, that's just LA. Like they just don't, I mean, even LA sports teams don't draw super well when the weather is great. Yeah, I, I guess for me, you know, Riviera is the annual stop uh, on the on the PJ Tour, and they draw decent crowds. They have decent hospitality. It feels like there's a buzz around LA, around Riviera. There were moments, you know, George. I think you made a great tweet yesterday. Like Scotty Scheffler makes an eagle. If, if no one's there to see it, do, does it really happen? Like it just seemed like there were times when. All you could hear were like the the bros shouting, you know, obscenities or mashed potatoes or whatever they were going to say. And there were just Spartan crowds everywhere. And it just made me think like, gosh, that's that's sad that in a city of, you know, X million people with X million kids that probably would have loved to attend this event. Like, why didn't we just see more people out there, uh, you know, following this event? So I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that the USJ will probably go back and do a postmortem and figure out what they did well and what they could do different. And I, and I would hope for this one, they find a way to get just more buzz, more electricity, more fans out to witness this golf. Cause I think it was a fantastic golf course and it, and it had a great leaderboard. So I, I think there's no reason why there shouldn't have been more fans there. And I didn't pay attention before. I'd be curious what the numbers of people on the grounds are versus Shinnecock. Cause Shinnecock's a perfect, like I would say, as a, as a course goes inconvenient as one could hope to be to get people out to it. So what, what are the daily fans at Shinnecock and, and, and what's, what's that? 
how how does it shake out? Um, and, and I'd be curious how much LACC had to do with it. I mean, there's a lot written about it. It is a club that is traditionally very private, um, meaning like it doesn't want Hollywood stars. It doesn't want publicity. It just wants to quietly exist in a place that thrives on notoriety. And it, it, it famously wants to just be there. Um, so I, I agree the, the USGA needs to take a look at it. Um, there is something to be said for roars and fan buzz and just that, that energy that comes from that. But I, I don't know what the answer is. Cause I, I just don't know how LA in general with sports, it, it's kind of fickle. Yeah, well, let's just also remember, this is a money-making business here, okay? I mean, like, the U.S. Open makes, like, I don't know, 90% of the USGA's revenue. I mean, like, every time I've thrown out a number to the to someone at the USGA on that, I've never thrown out 90, but they always kind of roll their eyes, like, yeah, higher than that. You know, so, so, so 90 seems like maybe it's the number. And so you think about it, like, 5,000 more people is, like, Five hundred thousand more dollars. Like, I mean, that's two million dollars for the week if you had five thousand more a day at a hundred bucks a pop. I mean, like, so I, you know, it is an interesting question. I mean, can LACC as a entity control that? I mean, so much so as they negotiated, I suppose, on on coming to the golf course and in the in the rental use agreement for the golf course. I suppose they could have. Um, I mean, maybe there were a bunch of rich members who said, I'm going to buy a thousand tickets so that, you know, it's it's smaller or something. I mean, or, or, or the membership around there was willing to pay more for the hospitality to keep the ticket size down. I, I mean, I don't know. These are all speculation or, or could be's, maybe would be's, but it, it just seems like selling more tickets. I mean, that's just on, I mean, my, my, Five hundred thousand, two million dollar. That's just on gate. That's just on the gate. Like let alone concessions, merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you, you you'd think the USGA would want a couple more people there. Uh, obviously, they were concerned about moving the people around, or, or 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 whatever they were concerned about getting them there from the shuttles, or you know, flow throughout the golf course, et cetera. But. But that, that was what I was going to say major. is I, from when you see that course, I don't know where you, cause you got to remember everyone funnels to the last few holes. So over the course yeah, but of that's the not day, different, that's not different than any other golf tournament on earth. Right. I mean, like I, the last it, five groups but, are going, everybody's going to 17 and 18. That's kind but, of, just but 18 deal. sits right on nine. So my, my curiosity is if you added 5,000 people, with everyone funneling to the last few holes over the course of the day, can they can they hold those five thousand people? That that's yeah, the, know. the tricky right? part. We've we've never been there. We don't know. So I thought we would pivot. There were a lot of comments uh, by us and others about just the broadcast on NBC and Golf Channel, USA, and Peacock. You sort of had to had to bounce around during the early rounds and then caught it on 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 NBC for the last few rounds. George, I'll maybe start with you with this question. How much do you want to pay for a zinger-free broadcast? <gasps> Let me get going. Um, the The reality is, he's. Let me start with this. 
from everything I've heard from golfers, and everything else, he's probably a great guy. So I want to start very positive that he's probably a great guy. He knows a ton of golf. He's won big tournaments. He's been there, but man, he's, and, and I've always believed this about golf coverage where at, they look at every shot and they're like, you, you don't understand how hard this is. You don't understand. I'm like it's in the middle of the fairway. It's sitting as great as it could be. And the pin is not super tucked. Like he's got to hit a good golf shot, but he's a professional. So I think he's going to do that. And I mean, if I heard him say treacherous, um, you know, patented fade, uh, Paul, 90% of pros play fades. Like there's a reason they play a fade. Like the, the fade under pressure holds up more than if you try to play a draw. Like there, there's a reason that golf has moved to the fade. These treacherous putts, it's a U.S. Open green. Yes, we understand they're very slick. They're probably maybe 14, might even be 15 by the end of the day. Um, for the last groups, considering it was sunny out there today. But like, oh my God, it just has to stop with every single shot is the hardest shot that any golfer has ever come across before. And it was just unrelenting. And he just, I guess what drives me nuts about it is we, we've we heard other people, um, and I, I will point out Shane Bacon, um, who's like, He's seen a lot of golf. He's not been a professional golfer. So I, I understand the value of having a professional golfer who's won a major, who who can speak a little bit to some of the pressure and, and the event of it. Um, you know, I guess the old, you know, they've laced him up kind of argument. But the reality is he's he's just he has this trope and he sticks to it and it it just doesn't work. And it actually takes away from the broadcast and the I forget who's in the booth with him as sort of the straight guy, but they they don't really bring anything either. So I, I think maybe if like Shane Bacon is there because he's funny, he kind of throws a little bit of humor and wit into things, it, it'd be better. But my bigger thing, and I, I'm going to leave Zinger behind, my bigger problem was today, even on like the sixth, seventh, eighth hole, we're watching pre-shot routines. There's 14 other groups on the course show us golf shots and not pre-shot routines. And, and the reason I say this is I think, and it, it struck me part of the problem where we see all this slow play, especially in juniors and everywhere else is I don't want to watch all this caddy conversation and pre-shot routine stuff on the seventh hole. Now, sure. 16, 17, 18, when we're down to like five groups on the course, and these shots are the win the tournament shots and they're talking through it. That's really cool. I'm all in to hear when it really matters and you're so nervous, you can't spit. I'm there. Like, let me hear the conversation, but show me golf shots when golfers are on the course specifically because it sets the tone for, Hey, we're watching these guys, this course in particular, right? You had to get birdies on the front nine. And if we're watching guys on the back nine hit shots into these tucked pins where we're like, oh, man, bogeys are coming there. And, hey, chances are, guess what? These guys might be making those bogeys because they're not in the last groups. It does set some drama. And, oh, we're watching golf shots. But instead, they show the lie. Then they go and they show the pre-shot routine, all the stuff. They back, like, the whole deal, it just, it's, 
it's really problematic. And again, this this almost sets him up for failure. It sets anyone in the booth up for failure because we're asking them to fill time when we could just go watch golf shots and they'd be like, hey, this is a great shot in. He's got, you know, nine iron or whatever it is. Watch this. Wow, that green's not very receptive. It'd be interesting to see how the later groups do on that shot. And then go back and watch them hit the shot on seven. It's just, it's a recipe for failure. And I don't understand why they refuse to show golf shots. I think for me, it's multifaceted. I, I tend to agree with your takes on Zinger that it becomes repetitive, that he sort of has these sort of standard lines that he goes to. And when, when you end up watching golf for three or four hours, when you hear it for the umpteenth time, it just sort of grates on you a little bit. The thing that gets me is that, that I think your point's well taken on the, there's a lot of golf out there. Don't show me pre-shot routines. Don't show me tap-ins. I do think though, that there's this flow of a golf tournament that I think they fail to capture because there are these commercial breaks. And I feel like this whole playing through is a crutch and playing through for me ends up being this opportunity where they still are showing you golf. So you're sort of paying attention sort of to the commercial, but you're paying attention to the golf, but they don't actually give you like the sense of like who this person is. What are they putting for? Where do they stand in the tournament right now? And so you end up with this like, cool, I'm seeing Tommy Fleetwood and I think he has a good round going, but I'm not sure where he stands. I don't know if this is a par putt or a birdie putt. I don't know what hole he's on, but I can see the leaderboard and I know he's not in the lead, but I'm seeing Tommy Fleetwood on playing through. Boy, why on earth, why on earth is the leaderboard on the playing through segment? I I mean, like I, I flipped this on, I flipped it on before the leaders teed off at like, whatever they teed off at like what, five 30. So I I flipped it on like four o'clock in the East. And it goes through a playing through segment and it shows me the top three on the leaderboard while we're playing through. Those guys haven't gotten to the golf course yet. No, like nothing is not, changed. You're not telling me who's actually on screen. That's you're right. Where they stand. You're not telling me what. That's right. Nothing. I don't know if this is for par or birdie. And so to me, it's just a crutch. And so it's like, just cut to a commercial. I would rather you have the predictability of like NFL. NFL, you know that there's a timeout and you sort of know how long a timeout is. And you know that if this is like, it's it's not a half, I'm not going to go to like use the restroom or go, you know, make make food. I know that this is a timeout and it's going to be a 60 second ad break, but I should probably just stick around and watch these commercials because I don't want to miss anything when they come back from break. But instead you send me a commercial, it might be 60 seconds. It might be four minutes. You might get me playing through, you might not. And so I just lose like the entire flow of the broadcast. Yeah, and I see that. I guess I guess I would counter that and say, like, isn't the playing through the way to get more eyeballs on your ad? And thus maybe you're actually selling the ad for more because you're more guaranteeing that the people are there. Right? If you if know? you're listening, NBC, it makes me dislike those advertisers more when they're playing through ad. I tend or, to look at that and I'm like, oh, you play. Or I'd like to hear, hey, this segment brought to you ad-free by Ford. Or by whomever it is, and they did a little bit of that. I did thought I did think that was pretty good. They did that with Amex a, a good bit yesterday. Uh, I think it was at whatever time, you know, ten thirty at night. So I don't know how many eyeballs were on at that point, but but they did do that. I thought they I thought they had a nice phrasing of that. I think it was like we're staying on course, courtesy of Amex. You know, or or something like that. But the so I thought that went well. Last hour brought to you commercial free. Yeah, I thought that went well. That sort of thing is great. 
Um, and anyone that's watched, you know, football or soccer knows that they will just stick with the action. And when it switches from X advertiser to Y advertiser, they tell you, hey, you know, this segment brought to you by our friends at whatever. And so I just continue to go back to something that we've said a lot of times on the pod. I just think it's a lack of ingenuity to like actually give me ads in context, give me ads that, you know, give me the shot tracer, give me, you know, this overview brought to you by X, this, you know, whole insights brought to you by X, but just keep me in the action more because I tend to have a little bit of disdain for the advertisers during playing through because it just like, it irritates me. And then, and then I get like, kind of like, ah, I don't want to buy you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to support you. And, you're not and a I doer's will... guy. You're not, you're not going to be a doer's guy as for the, for the playing through segment. Yeah, and and I'll give them maybe the benefit of the doubt. I'd be curious if anything would have changed if someone, and I'll I'll use DJ as the example because you know there were some guys up in front who maybe could have made a charge, and if they had, would we have seen more? Would they have would they have done it differently? I mean, this this tournament stayed very much locked into the last groups. The last two groups were the only two who could really do anything there, and so. Is that why they they kind of stuck there? Um, and I don't, I don't know if we'll ever find out. But the the again, my whole thing is if if the early groups are struggling on the back nine, while the first groups are walking to their ball on the front nine, show us the back nine. Show us these guys struggling, and it does set some drama of like, oh wow, this could really this tournament could really turn. We, we could see some big numbers here from guys because look at look at these guys. Because again, if you are playing in even the last 12 groups of the U.S. Open, you're really, really, really good at golf. And if if I see a Dustin Johnson, a Tommy Fleetwood, and Tommy Fleetwood shot 63, so he's not the best example. But like if I see these guys that I know have won tournaments before, taking doubles from weird lies and and just missing a little bit and like struggling i'm sitting there being and again a wyndham clark is any one of those other guys in the first 15 groups like someone i'm sure is just like out of their mind that they picked wyndham clark at probably you know plus eight thousand to win this weekend but the reality is, is like, if I see that there's some carnage up ahead, we switch back to these guys and no one's making a lot of birdies to start and sort of patting themselves for the back nine, like popcorn's ready. And like, we're ready. Like, this is going to be really exciting. And, and they, they just whiffed. And the, and the one thing I'll say, and I, and I often talk about this with, you know, football, football does a really good job of using the screen real estate, right? They will show you sort of down in distance the time, they'll show you some stats, they'll show you, you know, whatever they, whatever they can show you, whether it's other games in progress, right? They're sort of keeping you entertained all across the screen. I've always felt like golf does a, a pretty lackluster job where they have a lot of screen real estate. The player is sort of in the center. They've got the leaderboard usually in the corner, but I actually think that when you've got a hole, it'd be great to just always have a persistent like yardage book view of the hole. Like show me what we're working with Show me if he's 195 yards out, what he needs to cover. What is his cover line to this bunker? What does the green look like, the slopes? And I do think they could do a better job of like taking what they already have, which is a lot of knowledge of the hole, of the pin, pin placements, of the slopes, 
and sort of just like intersperse that interactive, you know, graphics with the the drama that's on screen. And so again, I just go back to like, I just think it's a lack of ingenuity and engagement. Like you could make it a lot more engaging for me as a fan. Um, and I just think it's like the same old thing week in and week out like this, this to me felt like it could have been a U.S. Open in 1995. Like there was just sort of like the same vibe of the broadcast that I that I that I saw today. I wanted to actually uh, go to sort of the the final four, or maybe the final five or six players of consequence. But I wanted to actually start with the low amateur Gordon Sargent, and I wanted to actually start you know just tip of the hat to him. But I want to talk about if anyone saw this on his 18th hole, he had a what what amounted to maybe a foot and a half or a two foot putt that he hit dead weight, not with any speed, dead weight into the center of the golf hole. And it hits the pin liner, sort of like, you know, the cup liner and bounces right back to the top. Billy, this is a travesty in in, in my view. Like, I don't know if they actually did this, but they should have immediately gone out and like, you know, just sort of jammed that thing back down to where it should have been. Because whenever you hit something with dead weight into the back of the hole, it should never pop back and hit you in the face. And so I just got like, shutters and you know just the hair standing up on on both arms it's just like it gave me all the heebie-jeebies and i joked you know the only thing now that wyndham clark you know might fall victim to is the superintendent's revenge of this you know pin liner just coming up to bite him yeah when i saw that uh i didn't see it live i kind of you know saw it in arrears kind of on twitter social media or whatever it was and uh my first thought was at least he's an amateur Right. I mean, so it didn't it didn't cost him any money. He still finished low amateur. It, it didn't really change, you know, anything about his life. In fact, it made some people some more money, whoever he, you know, kind of fell down to, to tie with. Um, it made them a little bit more money that happening. But but it did uh, really of, of no consequence for for Gordon himself. So that was my first thought is like, OK, it didn't it didn't like, you know, change his life or his day or whatever you know a la joe daly and q school in 2000 when like i think that same same exact thing happened to him and i don't know the details of where joe sat for for the week when it happened but i'm pretty sure it happened on like the 108th hole like you know might have cost him a tour card or a, or a better spot on the nationwide tour or whatever it was but um that's the only other time i've i've, I've seen that happen um save save covid when they flip the cups upside down right and, and you couldn't get a golf ball to stay in the hole at all but um never it, forget the foam foam pins, foam Everyone's pins. Handicap just going going straight down when we had foam pins slam and, into yeah. it and stay right there but i thought uh, we transitioned to sort of like the final few players and i'll start with you george wyndham clark co-leader ends up shooting even par wins the tournament ricky fowler shoots 75 what do you make of, you know, Ricky Fowler having, you know, kind of an ascendant year? He's, you know, I don't think caught a lot of people entirely by surprise. He's he's on, on the up and up. Um, certainly this was a little bit of a surprise that he was contending in a major because he hasn't done that in a few years, but he's had a good PGA Tour season thus far. I'm curious, George, like, is this, you know, is this Ricky's last chance? Are we going to see him sort of threaten leaderboards and majors going forward for the next few years? Uh, I wouldn't say that this is the end of Ricky by any stretch. Um, Ricky had been lost in the woods for a while and he clearly has found his game again. 
I mean, we're not that far removed, what, five, five years from him finishing top five in all three majors. Um, maybe a little further back. I mean, he was he was in that that was the 2018 Masters was the or 17. When whenever he lost the Masters to P. Reed. Yeah, that, that was, was 18. It was it was 14 yeah. when he finished top five in all of them. So that's right. nine years ago. George, so I, I wouldn't say we've Justin Ray of stats here, though. This is this yeah. is really good. I, I wouldn't say this is the end of, of Ricky. I mean, he's 34. And and listen, if if you were to say who could be sort of the new Phil of the PGA tour, Ricky's the guy. And he's 34. Could he he break off his first one? He's got the game. He showed through i'll say he showed through 63 holes he's got game i mean he's he's there he he's got it back um i mean he went out and took this thing for a while and i i am bullish on ricky um i think he's he's got all the shots he's got all the game you know i i'm not going to say this is his last gasp by any stretch he was in the wilderness i mean what Two years ago, he lost a 12 for one to be the second alternate. Last year, he was the first alternate. And this year, and he didn't get in. Like he showed up hitting balls on the range. Like, who knows? Didn't happen. This year, he was leading through 54 holes. He didn't have it today. And that's kind of heartbreaking because I don't know there's a golf fan in the world who roots against Ricky. You, you might root for someone else, but you're not rooting against Ricky. Um, and I, I think if we talk about good for golf, if he's back, it's good for golf. Like, I, there's, I've never heard an ill word spoken about him. So I, I would not say that this was his last gasp by any stretch. Yeah, we had Jeff Bullock on a, a pod just before the U.S. Open started. We asked for a sleeper pick. He chose Ricky Fowler just based upon within the universal golf ranking, Tugger for short, that he was ascending and sort of, you know, undervalued relative to his official world golf ranking. So he was not surprised by this play. But but I agree with you, George. It was one of those ones where yeah, it just felt like, I don't know if he ran out of a little bit of gas in terms of, I saw this stat early in the third round where he had made 18 of 18 putts within 10 feet. And it was one of those ones where I joke with somebody like statistically, that's just, you know, you're going to regress to the mean, like you're not going to just continue to pour in all those putts. And so did we just see that regression to the mean for, for Ricky Fowler? I think he had 20 birdies through 36 holes. He was playing the stupidest version of video game golf we've ever seen at a U.S. Open. And it, he's, I think he's found his game. I think I, I look forward to it again. I think Ricky's great for golf. Everyone loves him. He, by all accounts, I have never read a negative thing about him. There's never been a snarky confidential. Listen, behind the scenes, this guy's a little, you know, a little prickly. Um, and if he's back, I think that's great. Now, again, I'll say back in the sense it wasn't like he was clipping majors like Rory was when Rory broke through, but he won. I mean, he won the 2019 waste management. It 
it's not that far removed from him winning tour events. And he's clearly always had the game to, to be there. Um, so I, I don't think, I don't think this is a one and done for him. I think this is probably something great. He strikes me as a guy who could play well at the open and we probably have not seen the the last of Ricky. And so let's now talk about Rory McIlroy. Billy, I'll, I'll push it to you. You know, Rory was in the last few holes, you know, sort of lagging those putts. Now, a lot of them sort of, you know, looked like they had a chance, but they were kind of deeper putts. If you look back to his his entirety of his round, on the eighth hole, he's got four feet, ninth hole, 12 feet, 10th hole, 14 feet, 11th hole, 18 feet. All of those end up missing for birdie. And he was quoted after the round. He said, when I finally do win this next major, it's going to be really, really sweet. I would go through a hundred Sundays like this one to get my hands on another major championship. Do you feel Billy, like he is going to get his hands on another major championship? Well, if he goes through a hundred Sundays like this one in major championships, the way my math worked, that's 25 years. So, I mean, I'm not certain he's going to, you know, win one at 55 or whatever, but um, so he's, he's going to need to do it quicker than that. He's going to need to figure it out quicker than, than after 100 of them. I, I, I honestly don't know. I just, I, I mean, I think it's so hard to sit here and and say Rory will never win another major. I mean, that seems kind of far-fetched in the world, but I do kind of just wonder. I mean, there's been too many chances over the last three, four years where just to, to, to not get one done, to not kind of take the bull by the horns and actually like finish it off. And, and, and this, again, he didn't, he didn't lose it. Rory didn't lose it, but he didn't go win it, you you know? Um, And, you know, obviously, you know, he could have made some of those putts earlier, which would have put a lot more pressure on. He could have hit, could have, should have, would have, like that just means you're playing golf. Right. If you if if you think you should have shot lower, that means you're playing golf. And and so I have a hard time saying that Rory's not gonna win one. But at the same time, it just feels like he's thrown away a lot of chances. And you know, as as all of us, he's not getting younger, you know, and there's there's guys coming up behind him. And listen, Billy, your mouse for you. Here's what kills me about Rory is today of all the days was the moment for him to show up and be like, I'm Rory fucking McElroy and none of you are and just go get it. And he didn't. And this is, this is the, this is the issue, right? Like, like I said, it, it played like he was playing, like he had the lead and he was playing not to lose it. And he should have just gone out and been like, I'm going to go 500 on the front nine. Keep up. And he was guarded. Like he was guarded. And he, I know I kill Rory. I go after him. He is, as far as I can see right now, and and maybe it's a, a bit of a stretch, but I think he is one of those guys. I will put him with Brooks. I'll put him with John, John Rahm. I think he's got that extra, extra gear. They're like, I can just go deeper than you can. And I dare you to keep up. And he didn't do it today of all the days when it was, I think he started two back, one back. I I can't remember what the starting lineup was, but 
he should have gone out. He was one and, back to start the day. He shoots, shoots two hundred par. He wins this one by one. Yeah, and and he he has nothing to lose. And and again, like for the USO, he's got two US Opens. This isn't the Masters where he's like, God, this is the one I really really want. Like he's got U.S. Opens in his back pocket. He's got, or does he have two? One U.S. Open and two PGA. I don't know. Yeah, he's, one, he's got, one U.S. Open, two PGA is a British. All right, and so like he's got nothing to lose in this event. He's got one. Go get it. Go be Rory fucking McIlroy, and go be that guy. And he just won't do it. And it, I think that's what drives me more nuts about him than anything else, because he truly is a transcendent talent. He's not Tiger Woods, but man, he's not that far off from him. When you looked at how he won his majors, he blew the doors off of guys. And there's no reason for him not to do all that still. And he just, I don't know what the governor is on him. I don't know what that restrictor plate is that keeps holding him back from doing it. But God, I want as a fan I want to see that guy back. I want to see that dude bouncing. Like when he gets playing, he has this bounce in his step. The whole deal, there's this cockiness that is truly special. I want to see that as a fan. I want that guy back that just, you know, George, you make a good point. You make a good point that Rory had nothing to lose. You you know, if he finishes second or 12th, right? In some ways, those aren't different in his world, right? And, And maybe, now, now, maybe this just shows you how different Tiger Woods really is and was, because I think Tiger really believed that, right? Second and 12th are the same stinking thing. I don't, know if, I don't know if Rory believes that, right? Um, because to your point is, okay, so he makes, so, so let's call it a million dollar delta between second and 12th, or, or even if it's a million, one five, like, it doesn't change his life. It doesn't change his world. Zero. Right. So like, what is it that says I'm not going to go get it? Is, you know, and, and maybe that, maybe it is game plan. And he was banking on Wyndham coming back to him. And that's uh, a horrible I mean, game plan. Cause that like tiger never banked on someone coming back. Tiger banked on, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your soul. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that largely. I mean, I think tiger did as he made the putts. That's just at, at the end of the day, um, you, there's probably a case to be made that Rory hits it better than Tiger. I'd love to see like kind of the, you know, we didn't have a lot of strokes gain stuff in the, in the two thousands when, when, when Tiger was really, you know, blowing the doors off and, and, and beating everybody by a hundred week in and week out. So, but I think there's a case to be made that, that Rory hits it better than Tiger certainly hits it farther than Tiger Ever he drives did. it better at this point he drives it better i mean the driving's incredible and 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 we've we've said this before you know the, the wedges just aren't that good we gotta we gotta retool the wedge game one way or the other we gotta find a find a way if you're roy mcelroy and 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 i, I don't know if pete callen's still looking after him or whoever's looking after him from a swing wise like you just they get they get they gotta find a way to hit wedges better i mean like make them look push. like make them look like eight irons with like 56 degree aloft or something i don't know but um, Butch, Butch fixed Dustin's wedges and Dustin tore the doors off the world. Like true. go to Butch. It, it, it's just, it's infuriating because this is 
like Rory should, he should have won this by four. And it's killing me. Yeah, he he should have won it by four. And and I tell you what drives me bonkers. This is a total separate aside. We we already hit on the broadcast and stuff, but the broadcast wanted him to win by four. Yes. You could hear it in Paul's voice. You could hear it in Dan Hicks's voice. Like that's what they wanted. And and they didn't get it. And so then they, you know, do this kind of emotional thing with with Wyndham and his mom and you know, obviously losing his mom at a young age or I mean as a in in college kind of kind of time and going sideways and coming back and now playing great, you know. But they wanted Rory or Scotty to just go get it and and do exactly what you're saying. And and, and I will say that just drives me bonkers. I'm just I'm gonna leave it there, but that just drives me bonkers when when the broadcast is is rooting for something. And I understand, I totally understand why ratings, you know, all that kind of thing, right? But it does just drive me crazy. So we, we've talked about Rory. I think I agree with what you guys are saying. Like it wasn't that he lost it, but he also just didn't go assert himself on a day when, you know, Minwoo Lee shoots 67, when Cameron Smith shoots 67, when Tommy Fleetwood throws up a 63, there are birdies out there to be had. And I just feel like he did not, again, I, I look at it as like taking on that risk and 14 to me was that like seminal moment when again, you've got a wedge in your hand. And you can throw that one beyond the pin and try to grab it from 125 yards. And maybe he just tried to take it on just that, that, you know, minute, you know, I'm going to land this between the the collar and the, and the flag and, and stop it one hop and stop. And maybe he got spooked by, by plugging it in the bunker there. But I just look at that as like, man, you've got to retool your approach from 150 and in, because you are such a great driver of the golf ball to just give away shots when you're approaching it from 150 and, and that's what that's what drive like as someone who like knows what it is to get too cute with a shot and i mean rory's the the part of his pinky nail that he clipped today has more talent than i have and i get mad when i get too cute with a shot and i'm like just don't get cute like just hit do, do you and he gets Oh, it drives me bonkers because like, and, and I do think, you know, we are sitting here at a moment in golf. Like I've said it, Tiger's not walking through that door and Tiger was a transcendent talent, but man, I gotta be honest, like Rory's got all the shots. Does he have the putter? I don't know, but does he need the putter? If he can leave it three feet, six feet shorter than Tiger did, maybe. Like so maybe talk, he doesn't. So let's and talk about- like Scotty and we got these dudes who can go for it and like just go for it. Like you have all the money in the bank. Just play loose and go. And like these guys are just so uh, kills me. I'm with you. Let's talk about Scotty Scheffler because he was the other guy in the mix that also shot an even par 70 today. You know, 35 on the front, 35 on the back, makes three birdies, three bogeys. You know, Scotty had an electric finish to his third round, makes makes an eagle on, you know, a 500 plus yard par four 17th, knocking it in from 196 yards and then makes a really nice putt on the 18th hole to finish his third round to finish, you know, three under on his final two holes and get himself into the mix. I was looking at Scotty as a guy that might get it to double digits, might get it to 10, 11, 12 under par. And again, he just sort of never 
never got the foot on the gas, never seemed to be in that position to like really, you know, grab the tournament, you know, you know, for himself was always sort of threatening, but never seemed to get it rolling. I'm curious. I'll toss it to you, George. Much has been made of Scotty Scheffler and his putter. Uh, obviously one of the best, if not the best ball strikers in the game right now. But what do you make of this performance kind of, you know, not just today, but for the whole week from Scotty Scheffler? So, I, I mean, I'll go back to what I said earlier. He he played as though he was trying not to lose the tournament. And the it, it drove me nuts because he had a lot of good looks. He was, you know, a roller too short a handful of times on the front side. And, and that's where I think like Scotty and his, I'll say team, whatever that means, has to understand like, hey, man, like you've you've asserted yourself and people recognize once you get in the lead, like you like I, I call him the big bow constrictor. Like once he gets in the lead, he just sits there like you can't shake him. He just he doesn't beat himself. And it's like. I was super bullish, not only because I bet on him, mostly because I bet on him, but definitely, well, mostly because I bet on him. But I was very bullish after that finish that like, oh, now he's like, all right, my time. And he just didn't, again, failure to launch, right? Like all the guys in those last three groups, they all kind of failed to launch and go get it on the front nine, set a, set a number out there. Like, all right, cool. I got, I got my, I got my like credits in the bank and we're going to see what happens on the backside. And him in particular, just leaving those putts short on the front side on, on, like I said, there's like three or four of them that were like a roll short on the front side. It, It was just like, I'm playing not to lose instead of house money. I'm going to go get this. And, you know, Scotty probably doesn't have Rory's bank account, but I doubt they're, you know, clipping coupons to go shopping at the store. So go get it, man. Like, go get it because you are so good and golf needs, you know, you're, Scotty's not the greatest charisma guy, but you can make up for gaps in charisma with just like amazing talent go get this one and assert yourself. And it's like, Whoa, all right. To Billy's point, Scotty is like the best player on the planet. Arguably go show that. And the rest takes care of itself. So we could probably sum up this U S open a little bit. We could, we could talk forever. This was actually a super fun tournament. Uh, I don't want any of this uh, talking about these players and how they didn't assert themselves to get in the way of what was a great tournament. But what I'm curious about, maybe we'll leave it with this is, you know, who, who surprised you? Who underwhelmed you? Billy, I'll kick it to you. And I'll even note that you told us to watch out for Denny McCarthy. He finished tied for 20th this week. So one of those kind of sleeper picks that, you know, great putter played, played pretty well in this major, but I'm curious, Billy, like who surprised you this week? Who, uh, who maybe was underwhelming to you as you look down the leaderboard? Well, I, I think Wyndham Clark surprised me. I don't think anybody really had Wyndham to start the week on their, on their real, you know, shortlist to to really contend obviously a great player obviously he's you know ascending in his career having won wells fargo earlier this year and you know for his first pga tour win and so i yeah i would i would just say say windham surprised me and then i mean further he surprised me with with hitting all the shots at the end like he hung on to it and 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 hit all the shots he needed to um so 
that that probably surprised me. And um, you know, Dustin Johnson just continues to underwhelm me. Um, it really looked like this, you know, early in the week looked like this could really be his week, especially Thursday with it with a great round, and then Friday makes an eight early, uh, I think on number two on Friday, and and just kind of. And still shot even far for that for that. Yeah, shot. but I mean, just, but just never got, but yeah. just never got back in the golf tournament, right? So, um, that's definitely probably the one for me. I mean, I think I've I've talked a lot about Dustin on the pod and and kind of where is he, where is he, where is he going to go and, and and whatever. So I I just yeah, it just seems like again he's got he's got too much um, talent to to knock it out of third gear. George, I'll kick it to you, but I'll I'll talk about guys that, you know, maybe surprise me a little bit. Minwoo Lee is one that, you know, many, many saw him at the Players' Championship, perhaps for the first time, a guy that's played really well in Europe and around the world. But I was impressed with him. He's got a lot of charisma. He He's energetic. He makes a lot of birdies. I think he's got the type of game that is going to play really well at these big events. And so I would keep Minwoo Lee on your radar for for the remainder of this year and maybe next year, as you think about major championships, sort of, you know, sleeper plays guys that are maybe not, you know, in the top 20 in the world. And and I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Billy Dustin was one of those guys that I just kept looking at as a guy that seemed like, you know, he should just thrive on a course like this, where he can just look down the left side and peel off a five or 10 yard fade. Um, yeah. I don't know if that, that quad derailed him on Tuesday or not, or on, on Friday or not, but um, you know, uh, Brooks obviously was one of those ones that, you know, never seemed to just feel comfortable. They didn't show him a lot on the broadcast, but never seemed like he liked the golf course and some of his comments and, you know, just sputtered 71, 69, 70, 69, ended up one under and back at T17, but never really threatening to move up the leaderboard. And then again, you know, we didn't talk at length about this, but guys that missed the cut, I mean, Jordan Spieth missed the cut right on the number. Phil Phil Mickelson missed the cut right on the number. But the one that really kind of jumps off the page is, is Justin Thomas. And there's been a lot speculated about whether or not he's battling an injury. And when you, when you look way, way, way down the leaderboard, you will see that he did not beat a lot of players in this field. Um, you know, Justin Thomas shot 73-81 and only beat three players in a field chock full of amateurs and qualifiers. And so... That to me is something that is a little head scratching. And I wonder if he, you know, ought to shut it down and, and perhaps fix what is broken, whether that's physical, mental, or or both. So I with the JT thing, and I guess we can save this for something else, but I mean, is he going to Italy? Because something's definitely off. And this is a guy I, I would say is when he's on, he can go as deep and as low as anybody on tour time and time again. Um, and so as, as a golf fan, like I want Justin Thomas at full Justin Thomas and whatever is shaken, whether it's the leaky gut, which we talked about is, is tricky, um, or, or something different. Like he's gotta, he's gotta figure it out because it's clearly not, not clicking and not going right. Um, for, for my surprises this week. I was, I guess, the other guy that is worth talking about a little bit is Max Homa. I mean, he's seventh in the world. 
Um, he didn't make the cut. Uh, the course he's played, he's got he's got the competitive course record at. Um, now, granted, it's not a U.S. Open setup when you play the collegiate, you know, Pac-12 championship at it. But man, he just has not. When the lights shine bright, he doesn't seem to to be there. Um, and you know, again, one of those guys by all accounts, great guy. But man, like to be seventh in the world, we gotta see, we gotta see him assert himself a little bit here. Like it's good, good, good guy goes so far, but it's it's time to to post a number and and step up. Um, Wyndham Clark clearly a big surprise. Uh, definitely surprised by DJ. You know he got the eight, but then he fought back. And it's like, if he goes 68, 68 in the weekend, he's in the playoff. And the the course definitely had 68, 68 in it. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, again, I, I'll tip my cap to LACC. Um, Wyndham was by far the most consistently good golfer. And the course rewarded that. And that's what we're supposed to do at the US Open. So I'm... Uh, that's where I end on it. Like surprised that we didn't have the horses at the end, but man, like, uh, I don't know. J- JT's a, a whole different episode because if he's got a few events to, to reassert himself, sort it out, figure it out. But if, man, if he doesn't make the cut at the, the open, there might be an awkward conversation to be had with the captains of the Ryder cup team, because I, I, I know him and Spieth, they've got history. He plays that event really well, but if it's just not there, that's going to be weird. And I've got one more. If the, uh, the DP world tour, European tour folks are looking, you know, for Ryder cup picks, Podrick Harrington at 50 plus years old, tied for 27th. I mean, just again, like, I don't think we can appreciate enough a guy like Padraig Harrington at 50 plus years old, like 185, 190 ball speed. I mean, the guy just freaking has reinvented his game for speed and being competitive on these big, big golf courses. It's pretty unbelievable. I joked, you know, half joked, you know, they could pick him as, you know, just a sage in the locker room to play in singles. Also to be like a speed trainer, like, he, he could be a guy that's good to have around the team room, whether that's just an assistant captain or, or as a player. I mean, that guy's definitely showing me something. Um, no, yeah. I agree. Like that'd be, <laughs> he's just lights out interview. His, his Irish bro. Right into the, the assistant captain seat. Okay. That's where, yep. right. That's yep. no, 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 no further than that. Okay. Yeah. But Hey, this was a fun one. I, uh, I enjoyed this U S open. We only have one major remaining the British open coming up in about three or four weeks time. So boys, this was a fun one to recap and, uh, we, we will check out what's coming up, uh, next week this time. See you boys. Thanks for listening to the living it up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at living it up pod. See you there.